0: Funlessness, funlessness, funlessness. Having funlessness, having funlessness, having funlessness, with Jen Kirkman. Having funlessness with Jen Kirkman, episode 330. Uh, You guys, I'm Jen Kirkman. I'm a comedian. You've seen my Netflix specials. I'm gonna die alone, and I feel fine. Just keep living. Maybe know me from Drunk History or Chelsea Lately. This is where I come to keeps it real. I've had this podcast for seven years, and I originally started it. It used to be called I Seem Fun, Uh, sort of a joke about how I'm involved in a bunch of comedy projects like Chelsea Lately, Drunk History, where people think I'm like this party person, and they'd come to my shows and they'd yell woo, and I'd be like, the fuck is happening? I'm like a brooding neurotic. This is not well, I don't get what's happening. And so I thought, oh, why don't I do a podcast that shows the real me? Um, so this is it, warts and all, sometimes funny, always real. It's, it's off the top of my head. It's a once a week rant. You know, you've heard these kind of podcasts before. Now it's a girl doing it. Anyway, so uh, if you love the show, please give it five stars on iTunes. If you don't think it's funny, uh, that, yes, it's not necessarily supposed to be. So you can skip that review. Thank you. Don't put that negativity out there. Um, this week, I don't know. I I just turned on the camera and I was like, let's just go. It's Sunday morning. This will come out on Wednesday. If you're a Patreon subscriber, you get the video version and you get it early. So you will be getting this immediately uh, sometime on Sunday. So, you know, join the Patreon and you get little perks like that. Five bucks a month is the cheapest and it goes all the way up to 25. And the more money, the more content and all all kinds of merch bonuses and whatever. So, there you go. Um, Patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. Oh, my God. So, here here's what we're talking about this week. I, all over the place. Uh, we'll see what ones we get to. I'm going to talk about my friendship with a Japanese exchange student. When I was a kid, we sent letters. I'm going to talk about people are being ridiculous about masks. I'm going to talk about my fashion masks. I'm going to read an article about procrastination isn't a time management problem. It's an emotional problem. This blew my mind. This changed my life. I think you might like it. Talk a little bit about grief. We might all be in some grief over this pandemic. Um, I'm going to give my opinion on worldwide meditations. Um, oh my gosh, this is coming out on April 8th, the day Kurt Cobain was found dead, even though he, I think he died April 5th. I always hate this time of year. And I swear to God, it's like in my DNA from that. And also Easter. How How's this death feeling? Um, I don't know. I might talk about waking up at 5.30 a.m. to a, a candle mishap. <laughs> all kinds of weird things. Oh, So let's begin. I don't have any sponsors this week. Losing all my sponsors during the pandemic. Uh, people are cutting back. I totally get it. Thank God for the Patreon. You can be a patron of the arts. (laughs) You can be my sponsors. All right. Now, where do we begin? Oh, let's just get it out of the way. It's on our minds. What's the latest in the emotional world of everybody with COVID-19, the pandemic, blah, blah, blah. I'm getting emails from you guys. Thanks for checking in. We'll read some of those later. I think, um, you know... it's like I don't even have words because I just don't even want to get into it. But I'm starting to lose my mind. And it's not to do with cabin fever. I'm not trying to be different than everyone or I don't have the same things you guys have, but it's just not. And I think I'm frustrated because like the deep psychological disorder of this all is that I'm jealous. I'm jealous of people who are simply just missing going out with their friends. I'm jealous of people who are simply missing going to the bar. I'm jealous of people who just simply miss their gym workout. I, It's beyond that for me. First of all, I don't miss any of that stuff yet because I just haven't had a second to process. I've been so inundated with these jobs. That end next week, by the time you hear this, um, I'll have like two days left on the last job I had. So there you go. Um, And I'm cranky and uh, I think I wish it were that black and white for me. Like, can't wait to go back out. I just have a different kind of anxiety. I mean, I have friends who live in big houses. They've got all the accoutrements of life and they're going nuts. And I'm in like a smaller apartment and I'm not going nuts. And I think this comes easily to me, so I can't even like brag that it's some life skill I've learned. It's just, you know, I'm a mild depressive and I can really, I'm also like a meditator and and kind of, I mean, as like frustrated and, and as emotional I can feel, like I also don't need to burn off energy really. Like I can just sit still for days. And so it's half like a psychological disorder. It's half like new behavior from things like meditating and just having a different spiritual outlook on this or whatever. But um, it, it it's more that I'm worried. See, I have friends that are as liberal as a liberal, right? They hate Trump. They don't want to hear a thing he says. They're not listening to Trump. And yet it's hard not to have had Trump's handling of this filtered down into all of our brains. For example, I don't like Donald Trump. I don't want to take his advice because I don't believe him. You know, he downplayed this for a long time. He said it wasn't a big deal. Well, even the most smarty pants people that are like, I know better than to listen to him. Because he kept saying that, things weren't put into place. Individual cities were waiting until people were getting really sick on mass before they're like, okay, lock it down, lock it down. Like, so I had to fly to Washington DC on March 8th. That was the hotbed of the pandemic on airplanes, in airports, in hotels, in DC. Like no fucking way should I have gone. It was a risky fucking move. And yet I knew if I canceled, I would look hysterical. Not, Not the funny kind, but the she's in hysterics and it might be a bad move. And, <clears throat> you know, now my represent, my agent manager, they don't fucking care. They'll go along with whatever I want to do, but it was just this internal pressure. It wasn't that I thought of a specific person who would yell at me or showbiz would end my career. It wasn't so, it's not a, it's not a movie where there's another character that you can put up against me that is talking to me. It's, it's an internal pressure to not be seen a certain way, to respond to things correctly without hype. You know, maybe Donald Trump was, I didn't think he was right that it was nothing. It was a highly contagious thing that we weren't taking care of. But there was always going to be a world where handled correctly, it didn't get to where it is now. I just didn't know what, what was happening. And so w- my point is I still flew to DC against my own like better judgment. Thank God, I think. I'm fine. I ended up past the, you know, it's been almost a month since I've been back. I had some mild, I don't know if I went into it. I did have some mild symptoms for a few weeks. I went to the doctor twice. I'm, I actually have a feeling I did have it, but I was sh- I'm i shocked if I did because it didn't go into my bronchioles and that's where I'm really immune compromised. So <clears throat> I, I don't know. I I don't make decisions based on the fact that I think I had it. So I'm going to go out not what I mean. But um, maybe I can talk about that later because I never really went into like my struggle with this. So, um, but my point is, so even me, libtard, was like kind of letting what he was saying filter through into my soul and I got on a plane. Not because of what he said, but just it was it was still in the air that maybe this isn't a big deal. And a lot of my friends seem to be operating under that, where it's like, I think in 30 days we'll be back out there. And I'm like, oh, no, no, I don't think it's going to be. And if it is, it shouldn't be. You know, um, I'm not going to be excited to get back out into the restaurants and bars. And I don't feel safe until I've had a fucking test. And if I test, God forbid, negative and that I've never had it, well, then I'm really, I'm almost hoping I did so that I can feel safe that I have the antibodies. And even then, I don't know if that test is necessarily going to correctly tell me if I have the antibodies. Like, I just don't believe anything anymore. So I, I mean, I know those tests exist. That's how South Korea is getting back up and running and they handled it really well, but we don't have those same tests. So any who to do. My point is even my smartest of people in my life, I feel I can see them getting antsy and I feel like they're going to be back out there. And, you know, I won't be, um, I won't be socializing. And that's when my personal hell is going to happen when I'm being made fun of. And why will not you come out and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I just see it differently, you know? And, and, you know, it's not whether I'm right or wrong. It's like, it's not worth it for my level of anxiety to get back out there and feel like my quality of life goes down. In in, in my friend's quality of life, it's going down because they're not getting to be social. But I feel safe inside and I feel like I'm actively saving my life. So my quality of life feels amazing because I feel really, really safe. I don't feel safe going back out there. So that affects my quality of life. So I know a lot of people who who would feel safe going out now? Cause that's just their level of neuroses isn't there. You know, they're staying in mainly to not harm others, but they don't really think they're going to get it. Or they think they had it and they're fine. Or they're just like, whatever if I, you know, life, like they're just not thinking that way. So I don't have that. And this is why Howard Stern's been saving my life this week. I've, you know, I've been listening to him every day and he has the same kind of neuroses that I do. I mean, he's, left the city. He's in his Long Island house. He's cleaning every 5 minutes. He had people deliver his recording studio equipment to him in Long Island in a hazmat suit. Like he's he's really scared and he's losing it, you know. And he doesn't ever want to go back to life and I feel the same way. Now I have to work through it, you know. There will be a day when this will be tamped down and there, you know, might be pre-vaccine, but it'll be post Um, it'll be, well, the curve will have been flattened, but there's going to be a few rounds of this going to have to social distance again. And I feel like not a lot of people are paying attention to that and they're going to be thrown when in September, it's like, guys, it's happening again. We have to re-flatten the curve. Don't worry. This is all part of it. We said this in January, but no one's listening. I'm here to tell you when it happens that you heard it here first. So for me, it's like, I don't remember what I was saying something about Howard Stern. I don't know. Whatever. Oh, it's going to be a lot like my fear of flying. You know, a lot of people will ask me, how'd you get over your fear of flying? Because they want a black and white answer. They want to go from fearful flyer to where I am now, which is not afraid. But that wasn't my journey. My journey was going from fearful avoidant flyer to terrified, fearful having to fly for Eight years. Tools aren't working, but I'm using them anyway. Tools aren't working, but I'm using them anyway. I feel awful when I fly. This sucks. Eight years, until it—what seemed like overnight—it just fell away. Right? Um, in the twelve-step community, the promise of getting back to a normal life or getting back to a life you never knew is—you know—these these these dreams come true of your sobriety is sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. That's how it is in psychological work as well. I did the work to deal with my fear of flying, and most of the work had zero to do with airplanes. And I did it, and it happened sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. Uh, In my case, I think it happened slowly. And then with what seemed like quickly, one day I was just fine. One day I said, what if I don't take this Klonopin on the plane? What if I just don't take one? as a preemptive and see what happens. And I had zero fear. And I was like, oh, that seemed to have happened overnight. Of course it didn't. But there was no explanation for which of the things I was doing finally did this. I, I think a lot of it had to do with repeating the behavior, getting back out there. So I'm going to have to do this. I'm going to have to go back to life feeling really neurotic and scared. And I have the tools. I'll do it. just don't feel like it. So I'm in a little bit of, ugh, you know, and uh, I, I think a lot of people are in denial. You know, these are the stages of grief and I'm getting emails from people, <laughs> everything from like, I lost my job, my uncle's sick. I'm a small business owner in my 40s to someone who's 20. He's like, my play was canceled. I can't deal. And it's like, I hate to be harsh to the young people. The one thing you could, the one thing you shouldn't do is think your generation has this harder than anyone. You don't know what it feels like to build an entire life's work and have it be taken away. And then you kind of, it's kind of hard to start over when you're older. So while I'm so glad I'm not young and living in New York right now, I'm glad I, I'm glad I had the good years, like 9-11. But, you know, it, it didn't, it, 9-11 didn't impact me so directly in that sense. It only impacted my sanity, my asthma with the breathing and all that shit and the, um, and the anxiety of being on the train every day and having anthrax scares and having to get off the train and being late for work and you know, but I wasn't making a living as a performer yet. And so I was just had this little day job at a startup company. So, I mean, actually the, the company went under three months later because of, because, because, I mean, a lot of the people that were our clients died. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it does but it, but that, you know, it's not like my company, um, but that was like the perfect example is like something way beyond control, like shut down my boss who was older And I'm, like, in my 20s, like, wee, you know, and I just, like, bop on over to L.A. with 500 bucks in my pocket. So it's, like, I'm not saying, I'm just reminding young people that, like, this is tough. It's tough for everybody. This is your first experience with having to be in this massive acceptance of, now, I think people don't know what acceptance means. It doesn't mean you like something. It means it's the day you stop going, but, 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 but no. But it's, like, no, I know. I know. I know. It might not get better right away. I know. Yeah, this is what it looks like today. Don't fight it. Feel it, right? Th- I mean, that's that's what acceptance is. And uh, yeah, your world's different now. Everything is, but this has happened before, happened all over the world, with either pandemics. We nuked. We nuked Japan. Do you understand this? We nuked Japan. And as a consequence, as a result, they don't have nuclear weapons and they're our ally. How did that change? You know, I'm not asking, I'm saying, look, look at that. Um, I'm really over people being like, I, I just think positive attitudes are actually such a form of denial. You don't have to be angry or cranky or negative or like the sky is falling, but like, you know, when people are like, "We're gonna come back stronger," oh, we might not right away. Is that okay to say? <laughs> I mean, it's fine. We have, all, we have, we're gonna get through this because we have. I mean, literally, it's like you have no choice. Um, but I just hate that kind of rah-rah stuff. Uh, which brings me to a question somebody asked me about. Um, there was this worldwide meditation last night. Look, I ain't knocking it. But uh, a listener, she sent me a funny follow-up email that she, she's in Australia, she attended this worldwide meditation uh, and said she couldn't stand the American voice of the person leading the meditation. I'm I'm assuming it was one of those, I'm super spiritual, I'm whispering, but so are the baby voice. I, I don't know. I don't mean to judge, but I'm judging. So, but she asked me what I think about stuff like that and I... Hate shit like that. Because it was like meditation to heal the coronavirus. You are just as crazy as Alex Jones selling whatever he's selling. Or I mean, here's the deal. And this is where people get meditation wrong, in my opinion. A comedian from Boston who lived in New York and now lives in LA, I'm not a official Buddhist, I'm not a whatever, but I study a lot. And here's the thing. Technically, technically meditation could save the world. Here's how. If everybody had been doing it since birth and had this empathy and this ability to calm themselves and and get out of ego, different decisions would be made. You know, governments could run better. Uh, Creativity would soar, which helps us come up with innovation and inventions. However, there will always be sociopaths, and that is a psychological disorder. There will always be a Hitler, a Mussolini, a fucking Elon Musk, if you want. I mean, I don't know what the guy, if, if he's good for the world or not. You know what I mean? Like, it's, you know, rich guys trying to go to space. Sure, he got us where we are with electric cars. But you know what I mean? I'm, I'm joking, but I'm serious. It's like, I'm not really calling him a sociopath, but I'm just saying, ah, my ring light. Oh my god! Hang on one sec. Hang on one sec. Everyone listening is like, what is she talking about? Everyone watching is like, oh my god, the lights just went out on, on Jen Kirkman. <laughs> um I have this little ring light to illuminate my face so that it so it looks camera pretty. Let's try it again. But also my ah. let's see. Plug it in. Is this gonna work? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. we're back so there will always be sociopaths and if they meditate their whole life it's not going to change anything it's a it's a brain disease so so only in that sense can anything change the world that, that the whole point and and the whole message of of the certain religions that use meditation is you can't help anyone until you've helped yourself. You have to have, you have to change your reactivity. You have to calm yourself. It's also like a preparation for death. It's all about being in acceptance. Um, Like even corpse pose in yoga is, it's like people who do yoga crazy amounts. And I mean like in a religious way, not like I'm doing booty bust at the hot yoga place, but like real yoga. The point of it is like everything with this stuff is getting into acceptance and accepting death and like, almost mimicking death. Like there's a whole chapter in in one of these Buddhist books I have about doing a meditation that's about like picturing that you're dead, like anything to get into acceptance about the impermanence of life. And doing a meditation to cure a disease, even though I know they know it's not curing a disease. I know the meditator's point. It's to put the good energy out there. Then you have to frame it that way because otherwise you look ridiculous. Because You're not in acceptance when you're meditating to heal the world. And there's going to be some dumb people on that Zoom thing that actually think this could help. And that's what they're, they're meditating in the wrong way. They're meditating with a sense of like, I can control something. And it's like, if it were a meditation to help global anxiety, that would be amazing. And that's what it should have been. It should have, I know that was ultimately probably the point, but it's really important to frame it that way because you're going to have people making fun of you Some people are just going to have the wrong idea. And I think it's, you know, I would love to be meditating and go, oh, my God, five million other people around the world who are anxious are doing this right now, too. Oh, it's so lovely. I feel so connected. That's great. But this notion of I'm sending healing vibes to a virus, like I'm not, it's not a thing. And that's not what meditation is about. And that's not what those religions that use meditation believe. And it annoys me. It makes me angry. And it gives meditators a fucking bad name. So anyway. That's what I think about that. Um, but I was grieving. I was grieving. I'm in grief now. I was in denial because I was so busy. I'm in a lot of anger, just cranky. But I also think that's PMS, so I'm gonna not be too sure that that's just anger at the world. But, but I'm in grief. I was. I was. Um, I wrote a letter to the Patreon people, and I shared like 200 pictures of my trip. To Italy a few years ago See the fun things you can get if you're on Patreon Patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman And so You know I was talking about How As someone who was a fearful flyer And a fearful everything I used to have a fear of just being far away from the familiar Is that I got to a point in life Where the world at large The thing that used to scare me I wanted to keep my world really small and just be like stuck in my home. The thing that used to scare me the most became my safety blanket. Like the picturing the whole wide giant world filled with people and places became safety to me. And I loved to travel and I felt alive when I would travel. And I mean, the weirdest things would happen when I travel. Like my skin would clear up, like, you know, it's breaking out right now because it feels unnatural to me to be sitting at home like this, even though I'm good at it and can do it, and I'm not lonely, but like, you know, I'm always in motion, you know. Um, My skin clears up when I travel. I lose weight. I, you know, and it's like I'm sleeping bad and eating wrong, but everything just goes right when I travel. And I feel so unafraid and so me and so happy. It's literally like proof that there's more to us than brains and blood Flowing. Like there's a soul and my soul is present when I'm traveling. It is so connected. And so I'm so sad that not like, boo, I can't travel right now. When can I? It's changed forever for me. It will, it will now not be a safe feeling thing for a while. So I have to work through it again. It's all right. You know, sometimes we got to work through the same shit we already worked through. And I was just in grief at what a beautiful world it is and I'm so grateful I've gotten to see what I've seen of it which is nothing but you know 10 countries a few continents I'm lucky um and I'm lucky that I didn't let anything stop me like fear I'm lucky that I don't have that gene that's afraid to do things alone or feel self-conscious cuz I would have missed out on so many beautiful countries that that um You know, if you didn't go while you had the chance, people may be missing out for a while. And so I posted pictures of my trip to Italy, and I just felt so sad for everyone there. And today on my Instagram stories, which by the time you hear this, it'll be too late. But I – well, if you hear this on Sunday, it won't be if you have the video – if you have the video version of Patreon. But my stories are all pictures of New York City and just – just feeling and thinking. But I read this great article about, you know, what you might be feeling right now is, uh, not anxiety. It's a different feeling. It's grief. And I thought that was so great. I mean, this is, article's been going around for a little while, so forgive me if you're like, uh, I already read it last week. (laughs) Um, But it's a web Harvard Business Review, hbr.org. A man named Scott Baranato wrote this. Um, So one colleague mentioned that what she felt was grief. We all nodded. If we can name it, perhaps we can manage it. We turned to David Kessler for ideas on how to do that. Kessler is the world's foremost expert on grief. He co-wrote with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross on grief and grieving. Finding the Meaning of Grief Through the Five Stages of Loss. His new book adds another stage to the process, Finding Meaning, the Sixth Stage of Grief. So that just came out, which is cool. Kessler has also worked for a decade in a three-hospital system in Los Angeles. He served on their biohazards team. His volunteer work includes being an LAPD specialist reserve for traumatic events, as well as having served on the Red Cross's disaster service team. He is the founder of Grief.com, which has over 5 million visits yearly from 167 countries. Kessler shared his thoughts on why it's important to acknowledge the grief you may be feeling, how to manage it, and how he believes we will find meaning in it, which again has now been um, flagged as the sixth stage of grief. He says, yes, we're feeling a number of different griefs. We feel the world has changed, and it has. We know this is temporary, but it doesn't feel that way. And we realize things will be different. Just as going to the airport is forever different from how it was before 9-11, things will change. And this is the point at which they changed. The loss of normalcy, the fear of economic toll, the loss of connection. This is hitting us and we are grieving collectively. We are not used to this kind of collective grief in the air. But that's what I'm hoping to say. This is me, Jen, talking now. This is what I'm hoping to say to the younger people that haven't gotten through this. Notice the collective grief in the air. The more you focus in on you and how unfair this is to you, 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 you're going to miss kind of the miracle of what's going on in in this weird way. You're going to learn how to, now you're going next level, you're learning how to function in a global society in ways that hasn't been presented to you before. So you thought the internet was connecting you, uh -uh. right? So I just, to anyone, just don't miss out on this. So he says we're also feeling anticipatory grief, and that's the feeling we get uh, when the future holds something uncertain. Usually it centers on death. We feel it when someone gets a dire diagnosis or when we have the normal thought that we'll lose a parent someday. Anticipatory grief is more broadly imagined, uh, is a more, yeah, yeah. There's a storm coming. There's something bad out there. With a virus, this kind of grief is so confusing for people. Our primitive mind knows something bad is happening, but you can't see it. This breaks our sense of safety. We're feeling that loss of safety. I don't think we've collectively lost our sense of general safety like this. Um, Individually or smaller groups, people have felt this, but altogether this is new. We are grieving on a micro and a macro level. So then they asked him, what can people do to manage this? He says, understanding the stages of grief is a start, but whenever I talk about the stages of grief, I have to remind people that the stages aren't linear and they do not happen in this order. It's not a map, but it provides some scaffolding for this unknown world. There's denial, which a lot of us say it early on, this virus won't affect us. There's anger. You're making me stay home and taking away my activities. There's bargaining. Okay, if I social distance for two weeks, everything will be better, right? See, that's what I was talking about earlier. That's where a lot of people I know are at, and it's making me crazy because I'm in sat- I'm in a different phase. I'm in anger and sadness. I'm bouncing between anger and sadness. Um, there's sadness. I don't know when this will end. And finally, there's acceptance. This is happening. I have to figure out how to proceed. Acceptance, as you might imagine, as he says, is where the power lies. I mean, guys, this is as old as time. This is the most spiritual the oldest religions, modern 12-step, psychology, everyone agrees acceptance is the key to all our problems. And once you truly understand what acceptance means, that it doesn't mean, I like this. Once you truly understand what it means and you let go, that's when you can start getting better, feeling better, changing things. But I got to tell you, I have seen it in my real life People do not want to accept, especially people who've had something terrible happen to them. They feel accepting it means they're okay with it. That's literally not what it means. <clears throat> um, yeah. Okay. Um, acceptance, as you might imagine, is where the power lies. We can find control and acceptance. I can wash my hands. I can keep a safe distance. I can learn how to work virtually. See, this is what's making me crazy is people will not wear masks, and we were told – I'll get into it later, but people are not in acceptance, and I'm I'm in it in that way, and I'm walking – but I'm also bouncing around with grief, sadness, anger, but I'm walking. I'm trying to take my walks outside because that's, like, really good for your mental health, and we're not quarantined to where we can't walk in our neighborhoods yet, and people won't wear masks, and they won't social distance, especially the dog people, Their dog comes up to you and is sniffing, biffing around and the person gets closer and I'm like, I I, I don't want, like I'm running, like I'm running at that point for people. Um, And that's because they're not in acceptance. They're being like, and their lack of acceptance out in the world, it's like, this is like wrangling cats. And I, no offense to cats, because cats are probably doing the right thing. Um, Okay. So when we're, Feeling grief, grief, sometimes there's physical pain in the racing mind. Um, so Kessler says, let's go back to anticipatory grief. Unhealthy anticipatory grief is really anxiety, and that's the feeling you're talking about. Our minds begin to show us images. My parents getting sick. We see the worst case scenarios. That's our minds being protective. Our goal is not to ignore those images or try to make them go away. Your mind won't let you do that, and it can be painful to try to force it to. The goal is to find balance in the things you're thinking. If you feel the worst image taking shape, make yourself think of the best image. We all get a little sick and the world continues. Not everyone I love dies. Maybe no one does because we're all taking the right steps. Neither scenario should be ignored, but neither should dominate either. Anticipatory grief is the mind going to the future and imagining the worst. To calm yourself, you might wanna come into the present. This will be familiar advice to anyone who has meditated or practiced mindfulness, but people are always surprised at how prosaic this can be. You can name five things in the room. There's a computer, a chair, a picture of a dog, it's always dogs, an old rug and a coffee mug. It's that simple. Breathe. Realize in the present moment, nothing you've anticipated has happened. In this moment, you are okay. You have food. You are not sick. Use your senses and think about what they feel. The desk is hard. The blanket is soft. I can feel the breath coming into my nose. This really will work to dampen some of that pain. You can also think about how to let go of what you can't control. What your neighbor is doing is out of your control. Oh, Jen Kirkman needs to hear this. I got a serenity prayer it up, you know grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So well, right now, I, Jen Kirkman, do not have the wisdom to know the difference. I really think I can make everyone wear a mask if I scream at them. And I can't. I'm literally walking down the street yelling, put your fucking masks on. We all got a text from the California government and the CDC says now we must wear cloth masks. Now let me go back to the article in a minute. The reason the mask thing, and I don't want any tweets or comments because I've gotten them up the ass. We are not trying to prevent COVID with the masks. The mask thing should have always been done, not COVID masks, but cloth masks. I've been wearing them for years on planes. They do prevent droplets coming out of you and going in. If you're standing there next to someone with COVID and they're breathing on you, no. But the mask can help prevent cold and regular flu. Right now, it's probably a good idea to not get a cold or regular flu because you're going to think you have COVID. You're going to go to the doctor. Systems are overwhelmed. There's that. But also, if someone does have COVID and they're coughing and puffing and this, it's a, and they don't know it and they don't know what they have, a cloth mask does actually help a little bit. The other thing that it does is it sends a sign. It's like wearing a flag pin, You know, unfortunately. It says sending a sign. I recognize that we are not in a normal time. Something is going on and it's out of respect. My niece is a nurse. She she told me to tell you guys. It's out of respect for the healthcare workers. It's a solidarity thing. But it is also a way to get you to stop touching your face. It's also just a way to prevent things from circulating in the air. People in other countries wear masks all the time nothing to do with the pandemic, but most people do wear masks in a time of pandemic, just not the exact, like we leave it to the workers and the people who are sick to wear the masks that are appropriate for that sickness. Um, And also the CDC said to start doing it. And there are a million websites that show you how to, you don't even have to know how to sew or use scissors. You can take a shirt and you wrap it a certain way over your face and that's it. Now, that's all I'm going to say. That's what's been told to do. I don't want to hear any bullshit about it. I don't want to hear, I can't make a ma- I can't, I can't, I can't. stop the whining, okay? I'm watching, all I do is watch um, World War II documentaries. And, and I, you, you, oh my God, this one I watched the other day was so good. This guy didn't whine. He went, he was freed from Germany. Jewish man in America, his family had made it out before Hitler got, you know, huge. He went back into the biggest enemy lines to try to stop the war. And he negotiated with this monster named Hoffer, I think, the last. See, he didn't go, I can't get a mask. I don't have an Etsy password. And so I can't buy one on Etsy. I don't have a mask. But shut up. Shut up. Shut up, you 2020 people. So I was getting a lot of shit for posting about masks. And I went on a walk yesterday. and. Plenty of people out. I was I kept my distance from everybody more than six feet. I'm taking it 16 feet. I'm in this nice neighborhood. You know, I live in a nice neighborhood. I rent. I couldn't afford to buy in my neighborhood, but it's a nice neighborhood. So I'm walking around and I'm, you know, tweeting that people aren't wearing masks and be like, seven people can't afford them. Uh they can in Studio City, honey. Stop that. Would everyone stop with the victims? They can't, they have $5. They have $5 and they also have a t-shirt because I see them wearing it. They could put over their face, <laughs> let they boobs fly. So anyway. I see mothers and children not with masks and people tell me, people with kids, without kids are selfish. Y'all are selfish. The dogs and the kids people, oh, they're out and about, flapping their mouths, ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. And the single people, are Gen X singles are following the rules and doing everything. And everyone's worried about us. How could you be quarantined without a partner? <laughs> it sounds like a nightmare. I'll have a partner when things are fun and we can go out together and have a glass of wine and go dancing. I want to sit home with someone. Guys, listen to me. I'm losing it. I'm starting to lose it. See, that's the, that's the grief cycle that I'm in. I can't control and manage everybody. I can't get everybody to understand that I have lung problems and I don't want to get this thing. I can't make people understand that they're being selfish and not thinking about other people. I don't even mean me. I mean elderly, people that couldn't afford to, to take off work and be sick or work from home. Like I know that you don't literally get why you wearing a mask, taking a walk around the block helps that, but it, I can't explain it. It just does. At the very least, solidarity. At the very least, I know you got that text from... The whatever happens when the government invades your texts and everyone gets one. And it said the government of California now would like you all to wear cloth masks when you're outside. And you know it's not being enforced. But if there is a poli- if there is volunteer police and I can drive around with a stick and I can smack people on the wrist, get inside if you're not wearing a mask. Oh, sign me up officer. I'll put the I'll be in the car like boo woo. They're like, we don't need alarm. Jen we- stop that. Well, I, they are committing a crime. No, they just need a reminder. A reminder, I get out my big stick. The cop's like, Jen. One of my uh, dearest fans, hate that word, she reminded me that I loved the movie Walking Tall with The Rock. <laughs> it came out in 2004. I had told this story years ago on the podcast. Um, I went through a sad breakup, although it was one of the most inconsequential relationships in my life. But you know those ones, they last like three months and like for some reason you're just so sad. It was one of those like times in my life where I was like the one thing that was fun was this relationship. Although it really wasn't when I look back on it. It was like this guy, he was a photographer, but like he didn't believe in himself because his dad was mean to him and his dad was an alcoholic and his dad thought he was a photographer, but you know, not, he wasn't good at it. And this guy... Like, literally worked a day job, something to do with photo editing for movies. But his own work, he kept literally in his walk-in closet. And it was so, like, metaphorical. Like, I don't, I just hide my talent in the closet. And, I, and I'm and i always just like, go for it, everybody. Like, you know, I'm like mediocre Mary. And I'm like, I'm going for my dreams, you know. And um, I just don't relate to people who just won't go for it. And so I'm like, go for it. You're talented. And he'd be like, get off my, stop it. Um, anytime I've had a short-lived relationship, it's because I was encouraging a guy to go for his dreams. He couldn't handle it. So um, that ended in 2004. I was at my temp job at Lifetime TV, which actually wasn't a terrible job. And my boss, Sybil, who, um, shout out to her, she's still around in LA. and uh, Really funny story about Sybil is Conan is kind of friends with her because Sybil's friends with Conan's wife, and so she knows them, and Sybil was telling me, you know, oh, Conan's moving out to L.A. to do the Tonight Show, and I always tell him about you and that someday you're going to be a comedian that's going to be on his show, and I tell him how hard you work, and he's like, tell her. She's going to make it. Isn't that funny? So um, anyway, Sybil comes over to my desk. She's like, what is going on? I'm like, I had a breakup. I'm so sad. And she's like... Well, nothing's going on in the office today. It was uh, like late afternoon on Thursday. And she's like, let's walk over to the movies. And so we walked to the movie theater down the street. And she's like, "I." she loves The Rock. And she's like, let's just go see The Rock Walking Tall. And I know it's a remake of a movie and based on a true story. I don't know what part. I mean, it's sort of like secretly right wing. Like, It's like the town's get, getting bad. I mean, it is bad. It's like this Nazi looking guy. It's like selling drugs and he has like a casino and there's lots of scantily clad women, you know. But The Rock comes to town and there's this one scene. He just literally is carrying a giant piece of wood and he's just kicking ass and breaking things, buildings that should go out of business because they're seedy. And so the Nazi guy drives up to The Rock and The Rock became a police officer so he could work within the system. So the Nazi guy drives up, oh, look at your little sheriff badge. And The Rock goes, listen, I just want you to fix your taillights. And the Nazi's driving his, like, super nice car. I keep calling him the Nazi because he's played a Nazi in a lot of movies. He's got those piercing eyes, like that blonde hair. He's like a f- look, freak show looking kind of guy. So The Rock says to him, look, I just want you to fix your taillights. And the Nazi guy goes, what's wrong with my taillights? The Rock takes this giant piece of wood and bashes the shit out of his taillights. He goes, they're broken. Boom. That's what I need in my time of COVID-19, that's, that, I need to feel like the rock, like I'm in a walk bashing <laughs> shit. I need him to do it for me because I cannot control other people. Oh my God. So back to the article about grief. See, I, I'm ending up loving this episode. Back to the article about grief. Um, Finally, it's a good time to stock up on compassion. Everyone will have different levels of fear and grief, and it manifests in different ways. A coworker got very snippy with me the other day and I thought, that's not like this person. That's how they're dealing with this. I'm seeing their fear and anxiety. So be patient. Think about who someone usually is and not who they seem to be in this moment. Uh, And then the question was, one particularly troubling aspect of this pandemic is the open-endedness of it. And Kessler says, this is a temporary state. It helps to say it. I've worked for 10 years in the hospital system. I've trained for situations like this. I've also studied the 1918 flu pandemic. The precautions we're taking are the right ones. History tells us that. This is survivable. We will survive. This is a time to overprotect, but not overreact. And I believe we will find meaning in it. I've been honored that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's family has given me permission to add a sixth stage of grief, meaning... I had talked to Elizabeth quite a bit about what came after acceptance. I did not want to stop at acceptance. When I experienced some personal grief, I wanted meaning in those darkest hours. And I do believe we can find light in those times. <clears throat> Even now, people are realizing they can connect through technology. They are not as remote as they thought. They are realizing they can use their phones for long conversations. Ugh, I, I'm not there yet. I've just been too busy. but. Um, They're appreciating walks. I believe we will continue to find meaning now and when this is over. Um, And then what do you say to someone who's read all this and is still feeling overwhelmed with grief? Keep trying. There is something powerful about naming this as grief. It helps us feel what's inside of us. So many have told me in the past week, I'm telling my coworkers I'm having a hard time or I cried last night. When you name it and you feel it, it moves through you. Emotions need motion. I like that. Emotions need motion. Emotions need motion. Love that. Okay. It's important we acknowledge what we go through. One unfortunate byproduct of the self-help movement is we're the first generation to have feelings about our feelings. We tell others things like, I feel sad, but I shouldn't feel that. Other people have it worse. We can and we should stop at the first feeling. I feel sad. Let me go for five minutes to feel sad. Your work is to feel your sadness and fear and anger, whether or not someone else is feeling something. Fighting it doesn't help because your body is producing the feeling. If we allow the feelings to happen, they'll happen and it empowers us and then we're not victims. Sometimes we try not to feel what we're feeling because we have this image of a gang of feelings. If I feel sad and let that in, it's never going to go away. The gang of bad feelings will overrun me. The truth is a feeling moves through us. Oh, I felt that so many times in therapy where I'm hanging on, I'm hanging on, <clears throat> and then the dam breaks and I cry and then it's moved through me. I'm like, oh, I was hanging on because I didn't want to feel that because I don't have time to feel that I got shit to do today. I got to go to but And the hanging on to it was the thing that was taking up all the, the damn time and getting in the way. Anyway, he says, it's absurd to think we shouldn't feel grief right now. Let yourself feel the grief and keep going. So there you go. I hope that was helpful. I know all y'all are like, I need a distraction from this, but I can't. I can't offer you distraction. I can only offer you a sense of someone who feels the same way of coping, learning from our experts, you know, learning from our betters, and some laughter. I mean, that's, we're not going to pretend this isn't happening because I don't, I talk about my life every week. I'm sitting, I can't go anywhere because there's a pandemic. You hear me? I got to talk about it. Um. So this movie, I got it. It's on Amazon Prime. It's only an hour long and it's called The Real and Glorious Bastards. I never saw the Quentin Tarantino movie. Doesn't interest me. I don't, the movie's too violent. Not my thing. But this was like, yeah, these guys, they were German Jewish, they, sorry, it <clears throat> lived in America. They went back, and uh, to this one town that was like the stronghold of World War II. Their plane crashed, uh, so before it did, they had to jump out of it. Made their way in the snowstorm without skis. Like you know, this family. Uh, it, it, it's like crazy that they even survived. They ended up in North Africa. That's where they started when they decided to join the war effort. And they're like, well, that's not where we want to be. We want to be in this stronghold. Um, Oh, I forget the name of the town, like Innsbruck or something. And so they get there, and this one guy is in the hospital because he had something happen. He's like the guy that ended up negotiating with this horrible Hitler person. Wait, let me find this because this is such a good story. Hang on one sec. Okay. Two Austrian naturalized citizens, Fred Mayer and Hans Winberg, they went back to the Austrian Alps to strike back at Nazi Germany <clears throat> during Operation Greenup. Um, it's really inspiring. So what happens is this guy, Fred, ends up in the hospital. And he was a spy. And yes, yeah, so he parachuted into an alpine glacier, infiltrating enemy lines, posing as a German officer. So that's what happened. He ended up in the hospital. And this nurse was on his side and she gave him the uniform of a dead Nazi soldier. And he put it on. And this is like somebody think about the Nazis, it's so dumb. He just started co-mingling with the Nazi guys, you know, just like he got better. Now he's like in their camp somehow. He's like having lunch, hanging out. And they're like, we love this guy who's come out of nowhere. I mean, I know there's thousands of soldiers. So they start telling him secrets. They told him where Hitler's bunker was. They're like, oh my God, I just have, I got to get this story off my chest, new guy. (laughs) They're like, anyway, Hitler's bunker is here. Like literally just... If you were writing a script, it would be sent back to you and they would say, you can't just have for no reason, a Nazi telling a new guy um, where Hitler's bunker is like, he's got to have a reason. Well, the, y- 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 there's no reason. Yeah. Hey, what's up? Ugh, girl, what a long day, right? Anyway, here's the coordinates of Hitler's bunker. I mean, seriously, God, these Nazis were stupid, evil, but stupid. So. He's like telegramming all this back to wherever he's sending stuff. And he went into this big old shipyard train station kind of thing. And he was like, where are these trains going? And they're like, these are the most important trains to the Nazi mission. They have all the ammunition and the thing and they leave tomorrow. So he telegrams this back to where it needs to go. And that thing gets bombed and they prevented this entire takeover from happening. But he gets caught by this horrible Nazi named... Like, he's like a Goebbels kind of guy. I think his name was Offer or – oh, fuck. Um, Anyway, he got betrayed by a member of his spy network, this guy. And he was tortured, pistol whipped, suspended from a rifle, hung upside down naked. And they were like, tell us what you know, tell us what you know. These are the Nazis beating him. And then one Nazi doctor was like, guys, stop beating him. Like, he can be – Really helpful to us. So he's like literally just—I mean, eyes popping out of his head, gross, bloody, tortured—and he gets sent to this like big dinner with oh my god, what is that goddamn Nazi's name? Um, Nazi. It's like Hoffer or Offer, David Hasselhoff. Um. So. Imagine that like, yeah, Hoffer. So Hoffer is this guy that wants to, he's got this town um, in Austria. I forget the name. I'm just going to call it Innsbruck. I think it was something like that. And, you know, he's getting beaten because these are Hoffer's guys beating him. And They stop beating him, and then they take him directly to Hoffer, who's in this like, you know, it it literally, it reminded me of this country club I worked at in Beverly Hills, where it's like always secret dealings going on with weird government types. And when I would waitress in them, I'd be like, I shouldn't be in here. It was like that. So he gets taken into this dining room with Hoffer and all these people. And he says to Hoffer, you need to surrender, and we'll give you immunity. I mean, he's just making shit up. Like, the American government didn't say any of this. But, and offers like, I hear you. And then he changes his mind. He's like, nope, I'm going to fight till the fucking bitter end. And then one more time, Fred's like, or, you know, you can make it an open city and, you know, and he was just like, okay, and listen to him. And they captured him. And, you know, I don't, I mean, I know I just retold that so badly. Just go watch The Real and Glorious Bastards on Amazon. And it's this old guy now, and he went back to all those places, and he has got, the sweetest, kindest face. He is just like, that's what they did. You know how you do. You just parachute into the Alps, wear a dead Nazis uniform. You know, by the way, you were safe in America the whole time. You got out. You didn't have to go back, but you go back. You know how you do. And you get whipped and beaten and tortured almost to death by Nazis. You know how you do. And then you meet like the head Nazi, um, you know, second under Hitler. And then like you, you just convince him to do something and he does it, you know, all in a day's life. And he's just the sweetest little old man. And you just, Frederick Mayer, just live for him. I live for him. Anyway, if you don't watch this, I'll be mad at all of you. I mean, if you don't have Amazon Prime, that's the only excuse that I'll take. Um, But that's how you get through stuff, right? So don't tell me you don't have a fucking cloth mask. I can't make one. So then people on Twitter were getting at me because they're like, oh, if you have so many masks, you should donate them to a hospital. I'm going to show you people in the video my fashion masks. I have one, two, leopard print, this is a fun one, gold, oh my god, be dazzled, be dazzled, gold. I've had these masks for three years. I have been wearing masks on planes before it was cool, because if I get a cold, then I lose my voice, and it goes to the bronchial. you've heard the story, you've heard when I'm sick, you've been a victim of my canceled shows. I have these because I have bronchial issues. I'm not, I mean, no offense to hospitals, but I'm not going to walk into a hospital and give away, m- I'm allowed to own three masks. I'm allowed to. I'm not a monster. Again, you're coming after the wrong people. What is happening? So yeah, imagine me, hi, I'm here. Um, so with my bare hand, I'm holding these three masks. I've had them three years. I wash them in the washing machine and stuff. But do you guys need them? like, I'll just buy a bunch of cloth masks and send them to a hospital if that's what they're asking for. But they're not. So, and I'm doing my part. I am donating to food banks. I'm donating things to hospitals. I'm doing the financial stuff that I can do. Um, But, yeah, Twitter was on me yesterday, and I'm getting a lot of DMs on Instagram like, you know, I don't, I've seen you wear three different masks, and it sounds like you're hoarding them. I'm like, I've had them for years. But thanks. Thanks for giving me the benefit of the doubt. But also what I'm trying to say, cloth masks aren't really a thing you can hoard since you can make your own in two seconds. Like no one is stopping anyone from putting cloth on their face. Okay, great. When will I be done talking about this? I don't know what to say about Kurt Cobain. I've, You know, I feel like, you know what I always used to say about Valentine's Day? If you're dating me We can have Valentine's Day any day we want. I don't want to go to an overpriced restaurant and sit there with a bunch of other fools. And that's how I feel with the day that Kurt Cobain was found dead uh, 23 years ago. I, or 17 years ago? No. 23 years ago. I don't need to, what's 2020 minus 1994? Oh, 26 years ago. Oh, okay. (laughs) Commence nervous breakdown and... (sighs) Every time that I look in the mirror, all these lines in my face getting clearer, the past is gone (laughs) and... Isn't that the way everybody's going to <laughs> dream on? Sing with me. Sing for the years. Sing for the laughter and sing for the tears. Sing with me just for today. Uh, sorry. I had to invoke Aerosmith, dream on, because I just had one of those moments. So 13 years ago when Kurt Cobain died, oh, I was 26? But it's impossible. I was, I was, was, I was 19. Oh, I'll be 46 this year? Oh. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, no, 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 it's fine. Ah! <laughs> My little video stand just fell down. That does not affect the at-home audio listener. Um, so I don't have anything to say because I'm always talking about him. So, oh God, the damn video thing. I gotta get back in the studio. Ah, I hate everything. All right, um, what can we end on here? I was going to talk about my pen pal. I'll talk about her another week. I was going to talk about how there's no more pay funds left in New York City, which I was sad about, but maybe now it's a good thing with the coronavirus. Um, I was going to talk about it. I woke up at 5.30 a.m. and I left a candle on. and It was a whole thing. Um, we'll talk about those things next time. We can sprinkle it in. I have an abundance of content, if, as they say. Okay, and stay safe. Grieve your grief, put your fucking mask on and stop being a baby. Watch some World War II documentaries. And until next week, have fun.